Hello, and welcome to Successfully Funded, a podcast about crowdfunding. My name is Sean Neal. I'm one of the co-founders of Woodshed Agency and your host for today's episode. Okay, so let's get right into it. Uh, Today we've got a great interview lined up with Ray Wu, who is the founder and CEO of Wind Technologies. Uh, Wind has a great project up on Kickstarter right now, spelled W-I-N-D. And the Wind is this portable um, soda can-sized air purifier that is really changing the way you look at the environments you work in, live in, drive in. Um, this thing measures air quality, cleans the air around you, and really does some amazing things when you're thinking a little bit further outside of the box with smartphone and social media integration, uh, talking about um, these environments we're working in and, and what we can do to build better awareness to have cleaner air uh, by integrating devices like this with social media and mapping technology and, and uh and crowdsourcing information on air quality. So that interview is coming up in a little bit. It's a great conversation on a very successful project that's currently funding up right now on Kickstarter. But before we get into that, let's chat a little bit. You know, one of the other things we want to accomplish with this podcast is talking about the entrepreneurial life and and specifically our experiences as the three co-founders of Woodshed Agency. That's myself, uh, my business partners, Jeff Wenzel and Paul Lewan, about, you know, a little look into our lives and in, in bringing this new company to life, some details of our past experiences and prior companies and kind of what got us there and, and, you know, sharing our experiences as entrepreneurs to kind of paint the fuller picture of what it's like to, to bring companies and projects and ideas and products to life. And uh, that, that insight into our personal lives is what I want to chat about today. Uh, a little bit of backstory first. Uh, one of my co-founders, Jeff Wenzel, and I um, started a company together a few years back called Groovebox Studios, and we're definitely going to be getting into um, Groovebox Studios in future episodes. But um, you know, it was it was primarily a music and video-driven company that um, brought in artists from all over the world to perform songs all live in one take um, in a in a studio that we'd set up in an abandoned auto warehouse in Detroit, um, and. It was very successful for quite some time. Uh, we, we did, you know, just shy of about, you know, two or three hundred crowdfunding campaigns uh, with with that project alone. Uh, but there, there came a point in time when you know we could see that its success was not going to be sustainable, and this wasn't going to be a career for us. That you know, if we wanted to to move on, you know, and keep in, you know innovating and enjoying life, we, we had to pivot a little bit. And that meant shutting Groovebox Studios down and focus focusing more on the um, crowdfunding consulting that we had been doing very successfully toward the end of Groovebox Studios run. So there was a lot of things that in our lives that we had to kind of retool and, and rethink to, to pivot from doing our own projects to strictly consulting on other projects. But there was a practical aspect of it too, where you know Groovebox Studios was a physical space full of a ton of audio gear and video gear and drum sets and guitars and amps and, you know, all kinds of craziness that we'd accumulated over the years. And a lot of that stuff had to be sold off or, or needed a place to go um, because some of it was definitely going to be very useful in our next endeavor with Woodshed Agency. And right around that same time, I had a, a long-lasting uh, um, romantic relationship breakup. And uh, um, I had to really think about my next phase in life what I was going to be doing um, on a personal level, and that meant finding a new place to live. And, you know, just like we had some carryover in things from our business relationship that was that was changing with Groovebox Studios, and that had some place to go, I had a carryover from my personal relationship, which was a uh, dog that we had adopted together, uh, a rescued, named Toby, who is a 75-pound American Bull Terrier, which is in the Pitbull family. Now, Toby is an awesome dog. He's my best buddy. We do everything together. He's super nice and floppy and cuddly and lovable, but he is a pit bull, you know, and, and you know, I don't know where you're listening to this podcast from, but 
in many areas, you know, there's several restrictions on where you can have a pit bull, where you can live, and in different things. And you know, pit bulls are very active animals. You know, they need a big yard to run in. They, you know, choosing to go into a small one bedroom apartment in downtown Detroit, you know, walking up four stories wasn't going to be an option for me. Um, with all the stuff that we needed a home from Groobox Studios and with my dog. So I, I had this challenge in front of me is, is to find a place to live that can accommodate setting up a video editing studio, a, um, a podcasting studio that I'm talking to you from right now, and as well as store some stuff and that could take my dog. And uh, I wasn't going to be buying just yet. I needed to, to rent and, and kind of figure some things out. And, you know, that really left the list of available homes very, very short. So after a lot of searching, I came upon what was the best of a couple of middle to less good choices. And that was this quaint little three-bedroom cottage um, in Hazel Park, which is a a little suburb that sits squat right next to Detroit. Um, that, that had some pretty cool young landlords that were, were totally fine with me having my dog that had a decent enough backyard for Toby to run around in. And, um, although it's tight, had the space to be able to do what we needed to do to, uh, get woodshed up and running with our, with our content creation. So needless to say, I was really excited to, to start my new life and my new career in, in this house. And in the first day I moved in, I met my neighbor and she actually came walking right up to me and introduced herself as Crazy Mary. Now, Crazy Mary is a, a, a nice little old woman who's about uh, four and a half, maybe five five feet tall. She's somewhere, I would guesstimate, between her late 50s to early 60s. But in terms of mileage, she looks like she's got about another 15 years tacked on top of that. Um, nice, sweet little old lady. Introduced herself as Crazy Mary. Um, but, you know, you could definitely tell Crazy Mary has lived some life. Crazy Mary uh, has lots of bad tattoos. Crazy Mary wears uh, nothing but, but, but shorts and, and Crocs and, and little wife beater uh, t-shirts. And, you know, Crazy Mary is always seen with this big two liter Mountain Dew. So right when I pull in, Crazy Mary walks up to me and she says, hi, I'm Crazy Mary. I'm your new neighbor. They all call me Crazy Mary. And I just want to let you know something that, that, you know, no one's been living in your house for a while. And, and I really, really enjoy sitting on your front porch with that, that real nice awning there and, and drinking my Mountain Dew in the daytime. And I just want to, want to know if you're cool with me doing that still. And, you know, it's an odd request, but I'm just starting off, you know, my new place. And and uh, she seems nice enough. I mean, she came right up to me and got right to the point and told me what she's all about, told me her name, told me she likes to sit on my porch and drink Mountain Dew. And if it's all the same to me, she'd like to keep doing that. And, you know, I couldn't find a, a real reasonable objection to that. So I said, sure, you know, just, you know, if I want to use my porch, you know, just make sure I can use it and have at it. Have at it, Crazy Mary. Drink that Mountain Dew on my porch. So, you know, after a couple days of getting moved in, you know, my, my first day leaving in the morning to uh, go on some woodshed business with some meetings and video shoots, I, I pull out and sure enough in my rearview mirror as I'm leaving my driveway, I see Crazy Mary come out of her front door with her lawn chair and her tutor and Mountain Dew and set up shop right on my front porch and off to the races. And uh, when I came home later that evening, you know, just, just about dark settling in, I pull in and I watch Crazy Mary pack up her lawn chair and her empty two liter bottle of Mountain Dew and walk right back into her house. Kind of like, how's it going, Sam? Thanks for the, thanks for the day. Punch it out. So that goes on pretty consistently. Um, every time I leave the house to go, go do something is crazy. Mary will come out of her house and set up shop on my front porch with her two liter Mountain Dew and be there till I come home. So it's also also important to note that Crazy Mary has a couple of dogs. Um, she has a uh, uh, probably about a two-year-old, really beautiful, really fun and jumpy German Shepherd. And she has a little bit older um, pit bull, not all that different from Toby, that just loved to 
bark their heads off at everything. When I bring Toby outside, they lose their mind barking their heads off. When the mailman goes by, they bark their heads off. You can probably hear them barking their heads off in the in the background right now. But the other thing about her dogs is, you know, from time to time, while they're barking, they do enjoy leaping over my fence and uh, getting into my yard or even leaping over my gate and getting out into the neighborhood. So there's many times when I'm coming home, I'll see Crazy Mary with her two-liter Mountain Dew in her lawn chair, and she's chasing a dog out of some other neighbor's yard back to her house. Well, last night I discovered something new. I pull in. It's about midnight. And uh, to my surprise, instead of seeing Crazy Mary on my front porch, I see her two dogs sitting you know, nicely on my front porch waiting for me to get home. And uh, as I pull in, you know, they're looking very concerned that they haven't been able to uh, get back into their yard, you know. So I, you know, it is, it is late at night, but I take her two dogs and I knock on her front door and there's no answer and kind of go around to the side to see if I can get into their side gate and their, their side gate's really tall and locked. There's no answer there. So the best thing I can come up with is um, take them back into my backyard and kind of give them the old alley-oop back into Crazy Mary's backyard. And that's what I noticed that on the back porch of Crazy Mary's house, apparently her favorite nighttime activity is to uh, pass out in a sleeping bag on her back porch with yet another two-liter of Mountain Dew. And, you know, there was no waking her up. She was she was pretty skunked and pretty, pretty drunk. So I learned a couple things. Number one, I learned that, uh, you know, think before you say yes. You know, it's... It might seem kind of quaint when you move into your to your new place and you're really excited about things to have your neighbor stand guard on the front porch, but uh, you know that that that's gonna really she's gonna hold to her word. She's gonna be there every day. And uh, dogs are cool. I love dogs, but uh, you know they're they're pretty jumpy, and it's a sight to see to come home and and, and always have to put away dogs. And I'm I'm really starting to think that there's something else in the Mountain Dew. I don't think Crazy Mary is just enjoying the yellow dye number five. I I think there might be a little bit of a cocktail going on in there and something I need to address down the road. So enough of that. Um, let's talk a little bit about Woodshed Agency. So um, this is our little plug for ourselves. But what we do at Woodshed is we are a crowdfunding consulting agency. Um, we, we have several clients and we work with, with companies, everything from uh, documentaries to products to festivals to music to art we have games and books we have experience in you know, between the three of us in all these areas and we help you bring your project to life by connecting social media and audiences and early adopter backers generating interest for your campaign well before you even launch and and you know we always have the saying that uh crowdfunding is the currency of social media and we really understand that and that's what we do and um you can always reach out to us. You can uh, email me, Sean, that's S-H-A-W-N at woodshed.agency. I know it's a little bit different. Or reach any of us at info, I-N-F-O, at woodshed.agency. And um, get in touch with us. Or you can check out some of our current campaigns, our blogs, updates on everything we're doing at our website, which is www.woodshed.agency. I know it's a little new and strange, but that's www.woodshed.agency. And, um, you know... We're going to get into the interview real quick here with Wind, but uh, one of the things that we that's a constant is the ability to understand that you're not you can't go at this on your own. There's there's only a handful of crowdfunding campaigns that have success by somebody doing it all by themselves, and and as technology grows, as these platforms and tools that we use grow, it's more and more important to think about running these campaigns with a team. And you're going to hear a lot about a team. When we talk uh, to to wind technologies in a minute here, but Woodshed Agency, in a nutshell, is your team. You can bring us on. We will help you design your campaign, help you build your strategy, and most importantly, get you successfully funded. So that's the end of my little pitch. We're here to talk about uh, crowdfunding and talk to some some great campaigns. So without further ado, let's get into it with our interview with Wind. All 
right, let's uh, kick it off into our interview. We got a really exciting product today that I think is actually going to revolutionize um, health and allergy and, and, and how we, we look at air. This is, is the Wind, which is the smartest air purifier for your personal space. And um, I've got project founder Ray Wu with us. How's it going, Ray? Hi, very good. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. you got a really cool project um, with this portable purifier. I wonder if you can just kind of give us the basics of, of what you guys have created. Sure. So Wind is an air quality system. What I mean by that is uh, it is a purifier that cleans your air as well as a monitor that can keep track of your air quality. And they work together uh, both from a sensing as well as a cleaning perspective to automatically give you a, a healthy and comfortable environment. And on top of that, we made Wind Pure uh, portable, so you can actually bring it with you, set it down next to you, and it cleans your personal space, both for you or even your child. This is really fantastic. Can, can you talk a little bit about the the problem that you identified and that you're solving with Wind? Sure. So <clears throat> we see air quality in, uh, in a global perspective, uh, and air quality to us means anything that uh, affects your quality of life from uh, an air perspective. That could be allergens, that could be germs, that could be even industrial pollution. In some of the countries that um, we've seen a lot of backers from, they're worried about uh, you know traffic, they're worried about the uh, power plants nearby. Um, in other countries, uh, you know, we have people who have pollen allergy, pet dander allergies. Um, in other places, um, people are worried about uh, traveling and they have you know germs in the air and, and they don't want to breathe uh, somebody's uh, you know, a cough when they're on a plane. So uh, those are all applicable use cases for our product. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important to note that, you know, when, when most people think of an air purifier, they think of a, a, the big Dyson products or, or these large pillars that sit in the center of the room. Your product is roughly about the size of a portable coffee mug. Yeah, it's about, it's actually smaller than a, a standard a uh, water bottle that you can buy from the store, a standard half-liter water bottle that you can buy from the store, uh, and yet it's powerful enough to clean uh, about a three-feet radius around the device. So you put it next to you, and it and you enjoy the health. You can enjoy the healthy air. Yeah, I think that this thing is really fantastic, and you know, uh, just so everyone can find this, the uh, wind is spelled W-Y-N-D, and it's currently up on uh, as the time this is posting, currently up on Kickstarter. And, um, you know, you guys are doing excellent. You have about 14 days to go. You had a $50,000 goal, and currently you're just shy of $360,000 raised. Uh, how good does it feel to know that this, this product is really catching on with backers? Uh, we're pretty excited about that. Uh, so, number one, we're very happy. We're very excited about the traction. Uh, but also, at the same time, we, we definitely feel a lot of responsibility as well. Uh, we owe it to all of our back community, um, all the early adopters who are uh, pledging and, and supporting us to make them a product that they'll really love. So we feel a lot of responsibility to um, uh, do the uh, hard work to get this thing all manufactured and have it be really durable and have it work uh, very well for a long, long time. Yeah. One more thing about the product. You know, it's it's not just a purifier that is cleaning the air around you. You guys also have... Um, a play in mobile where you're mapping the quality of air and there's some integration that the purifier has with your smartphone. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so our, our product is a, I guess there's all this lingo out there about either IoT or connected device. It, it's definitely something more than just the hardware. And it really starts with our sensor. So the air quality tracker, that's what we call it, uh, it's a completely independently usable device. It actually comes out of the uh, of the wind purifier, you can clip onto things uh, such as your messenger bag or even your belt, and it has over a week of battery life to just sense the air quality. It keeps track of the air quality, and that's useful for the user to understand their environment. It will alert them via colors or even uh, alerts via Bluetooth onto your mobile device when your air quality changes for the worse. Um, and uh, when you need to clean, it can talk to the purifier to automatically clean. What's more than this type of interaction for just the user is that when you uh, uh, are using the tracker in a public space, and obviously we also need your permission, um, the tracker is able to kind of like Waze, uh, 
crowdsourced data on environments from all different places, uh, public places, such as uh, the park, uh, the school, shopping mall, libraries, restaurants, and give the whole community uh, a view to the environment. And we hope that can actually do two things. One, it can help inform people and they can make healthier decisions. Two, uh, for places that maybe don't have the best environments, maybe because maybe because um, you know the exposed kitchen, there's a lot of uh, uh, cooking smoke coming out, or maybe they're next to a building projects uh, that's not really obeying the rules. Um, you know, it can actually promote enterprises to also uh, compete almost to provide healthier environments for their customers. Wow, that's so- that's uh, sorry, sorry, I had to jump in there. That's that's awesome. Uh- you know, this project is real personal to myself. My my son has uh, allergies, and I I am the guy living with the big pillar in my living room, and I've got things plugged into my walls all over the place. But that's where it ends. As soon as he goes out into the real world, I'm 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 vulnerable, right? And and we find that as soon as he gets out into some environments, like if we go to a, somebody's house with dogs, we have no solution, and we come home, and he's you know coughing the next day. So. I, you know, this is a project that's that's very intriguing. So tell me a little bit, like, how did this become so important to you? And, and you know, what's your background to get you to this point right now in, in the campaign? Yeah, sure. So uh, we, we have a really great team, a lot of diverse experiences that led up to this. Um, I'll tell you two perspectives on, on what made this thing happen. <clears throat> and, and I'll first share some of my other team members. So on our team, we have actually three fathers, three dads. And um, they have uh, five kids among all of them. And when those kids were young, uh, they also had allergies. Some of them also traveled with their parents to uh, different places around the world. Uh, and um, they all have personal experiences where the uh, kids um, really needed uh, a healthier environment. And in one situation, as an example, um, my, one of my co-founders brought their uh, daughter to China and China has pretty bad air quality uh, generally. And on the first day, she was coughing. Uh, her face actually started swelling because of the environment. Um, she was having very bad uh, reactions. And he wished he had some type of magic device that could create uh, almost a bubble of clean air around her wherever she goes. Um, and then from my personal experience, um, I travel a lot. Uh, I have a lot of relatives in Beijing who breathe pretty poor air. And I wanted to do something about that. Um, we, we've extended over the last two years, we've really looked at air quality very broadly. And we, we, um, know a lot of friends and family here, even in the Bay area where we work, uh, who suffer from, um, uh, the air quality problem. And from a kind of experience skill set perspective, um, our team's, uh, pretty heavily on the engineering side, uh, MIT focused. We have five MIT, um, early founding team members, uh, working on everything from the software to the airflow. We have a rocket scientist who used to design jet turbines who works on our airflow um, to all the mechanicals and electricals. Um, so the thing that ties us together is we were all uh, we all knew each other back from MIT, and we all care a lot about this problem. At, I've got a question about the, uh, about the, the sensor. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I didn't see on the chart on the campaign, and and of course not seeing it made me really curious about it, was things like perfumes and cologne and air fresheners. I, um, my wife worked with a woman who was really sensitive to that for a while, and the the company had to make lots of accommodations for her to um, to make it possible for her to uh, to to work in a in a group environment. Where does that right. fall into your filtration? Is it is it does the, the wind handle it or not handle it or yeah. run? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So uh, our our device right now is a particulate filter. So anything that's a particulate greater than 0.3 microns in diameter, that's one two hundredth the, the thickness of human hair, it captures. So allergens, uh, comb- particles related to combustion, when you know traffic and power plants, and also microbes, bacteria, mold spores, fungal spores, it captures all of that. It can even kill... Uh, some of those microbes. What it doesn't do today is gases. So that could be odors. Usually those are organic compounds that are so tiny, they're like like 10 atoms or something. Um, it doesn't do uh, uh, other types of gases, could be alcohol vapors, water vapor. It doesn't suck that up. And we realize that there are people who are very affected by that problem. Um, it's just that right now, um, uh, 
devices out there that claim that they can take care of these issues, a large part of them don't actually do what they say. Um, and it's a more of a technical challenge than anything. Um, and we, we didn't um, solve that yet, um, but we're looking at that problem for future products potentially. So this one so right now, just to, yeah. Perfumes fall into the category of gases then. Correct. Yeah, perfumes right. are just organic compounds. They're just clusters of carbon and oxygen and other things. Um, so we don't do that, and, and we try to make it pretty clear. We don't want to overpromise or um, you know underdeliver. Um, so we take care of particulates um, that that also you know really are uh, important in when you think about air quality. But we understand that there are some other elements too that um, you know wind currently doesn't address. And cool. you know you guys do a really good job of transparency, and you bring that up in your video which I think is a good launching point to kind of switch gears here. You know, with the successfully funded podcast, we love to spend a lot of time talking about how great these products are. But this is also, you know, a podcast focused on crowdfunding. And I think sometimes the campaigns are equally as innovative. And you guys are definitely doing some very interesting things. And I'd like to roll back a little bit and start to talk about the, you know, the origins of your campaign. You take me back to ground zero how you started and, and what roadmap you took to build your crowdfunding campaign? Uh, sure, yeah. <clears throat> I think the first decision we had to do is how we're going to sell this, how we're going to – should we even do pre-orders? Should we <clears throat> should we go and just sell it on our own website? Um, and so that was way before we decided, hey, we should do a Kickstarter project. Um, I think the idea of getting the early adopter community was very important. Uh, for something this new, um, I think we uh, it's hard to go super mass market and and you would probably not efficiently spend your your limited resources to go mass market when when it's a it's a completely new product with a completely new brand. So we felt like the early adopter community on um, existing platforms uh, such as Kickstarter would be best. Um, and then and then it came down to choose. Using Kickstarter or ourselves doing a, our own try to gra grassroots crowdfunded community or um, or something else like Indiegogo, um, we we like Kickstarter because um, number one it's uh, it's the biggest. Uh, there were a lot of histories of other successful projects that are actual technology products that have launched on Kickstarter. Um, We've uh, did, done some market research on the community. We've talked to people about it, and we felt pretty confident that um, um, we could marshal a lot of enthusiasm for our product. Um, so that was the first thing, just deciding. Um, and then in terms of what we have did to execute, um, I will say that, um, number one, none of us on our team has ever done a Kickstarter before, so I guess we're relative newbies. Uh doing crowdfunding, but we've talked to a lot of people who have done it, and that has really helped. And if there's any advice I would give to people, um, it is to really leverage uh, people who um, have that experience. Um, it, it could be Kickstarter, it could be other things too, uh, like marketing and whatever, or uh, even engineering. Um, uh, talk to people who uh, have that experience, try to leverage um, their knowledge, their uh, learn from their mistakes, um, but also think critically. Don't just listen to what everyone says. Think also pretty critically whether that makes sense. But I think that helped us a lot in terms of knowing what we should be doing or should be avoiding. Did you guys bring in any professional marketing or uh, or uh, public relations help with the campaign? Uh, we didn't bring any professional marketing, but we did hire a publicist who um, helped us navigate. Uh, PR because we've never done PR before either. Um, all of the interviews, all the um, content preparation we did ourselves, but just in terms of um, uh, getting in touch, some of the network that we didn't have before, we, we did hire somebody for that. Fantastic! Yeah, you got a lot of good press. Um, which you know, how did how did what was the timing relationship to the press around launch, and did you see any sort of? Um, um, push from when different articles dropped? Um, so we started uh, doing some interviews before launch, probably a week or two before. We're still doing some interviews today. Um, I would say the, the, the press helps us in several ways. One is to just get the word out. 
uh, and that's helpful and that's super helpful, especially in the, in the early days, um, the first one or two days. The second part is, um, I think having the press, having people having vetted us from, um, you know, uh, established journals like Wired and TechCrunch and, uh, even ABC news came out here and did a live video shoot for, uh, several hours a couple of weeks ago. Um, that adds your credibility um, because, you know, it's easy to just post some images that we create ourselves and say, Hey, here's the product. But, um, the press today, um, maybe it's a little bit different from three years ago. They, they want to actually see the real thing. They want to play with it. They want to turn it on. They want to feel the air coming out. They want to see your filter and see your sensor and your app all working together. Um, but that, and, and that's challenging obviously, cause you know, we have to like build all this stuff. That's all, uh, pretty professional. Um, and we should, uh, but it also is a good uh, kind of credibility ad for our um, for audience when they look at our page and they see that look at all these um, people that have kind of vetted you before. So I think that helps too. So you, right. so real quick, Sean. So you were talking about all the different components and even the tech side of the app that goes along with it. How many iterations have you done with this product? I, I mean, how many versions of the uh, of this have you guys gone through <coughs> to get to where you are now? On the uh, on the hardware side, we're on our seventh iteration, and it's our last one. We're already done with it. It's now uh, already starting to be manufactured in China. Um, we're cutting molds right now in, uh, for the plastics. Um, on the software, uh, we're we're still iterating. Um, and I guess the nicer thing about software is you can continue to iterate uh, and improve and ship out new versions very quickly. And the hardware, you know, it's harder to have us uh, over the air update your you know, your right. plastic, uh, mold, right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that one we're pretty much done with, but we're still, we're still making iterations on the software side. What'd you, what'd you find to be the biggest challenge in the hardware side of this equation? Sourcing the parts? Yeah. What, what's the biggest hurdle that you guys yeah. have faced? Um, probably choosing the manufacturer. Um, it's a big decision. It's like, it's like choosing your team and choosing your co-founder uh, because your manufacturer uh, could make or break your, your product. Um, we've heard a lot of horror stories about people who chose the wrong ones or ones that had super high cost overruns. Um, and so for us, uh, we didn't take that decision lightly. I think, I think the unfortunate part is um, the hardware community is small, but um, a lot of the resources aren't located in the U.S. anymore. Um, it's hard to find a affordable, very capable, uh, full spectrum manufacturer here in the U S. Um, we ended up having to travel quite frequently to Asia where the supply chain, the factories, the manufacturing expertise is, um, um, to be honest, far better mm -hmm. and cheaper than here in the U S. So it, it, it was until we started making those trips that we found and we visited a lot of different factories, and we found the one that we're really happy with right now. Uh, if I can ask another question about the about the sensor, because the sensor is really, it's super interesting to me because it it feels like you can't even predict how it's going to play out when you start to give people information about the air quality that they move through on a on a daily basis. When I'm on the bus, when I'm sitting in traffic when I'm at the coffee shop, when I'm, uh, when I'm at the club, right. you've had prototypes for a while. It sure seems right. to me like, like the sensor is going to create a, a really interesting conversation out there in the social media space. What's your prediction for that? What have you seen, you know, from playing around with the prototypes and having people talking about, about air quality? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very good question. We've had 40 prototypes being distributed to people um every ever since from last year actually uh i have photos from may or june of last year with our first uh, mvp testers testing our devices um i would say uh their feedback has been invaluable number one um we are still doing testing the sensor specifically um i would say the biggest learning is um having a sensor is great uh we're all it seems like at least a part of the world or or the society is in love with uh you know measuring things. Um, and with air quality, uh, you know, air is invisible generally. So knowing 
the changes in the air quality is, is very interesting. But we've been getting a lot of feedback, um, not just recently, but uh, from even half a year ago, that having a sensor, sometimes it doesn't feel sufficient enough. And I'll tell you why. Um, if I find out that, let's say that where I'm sitting now in my office, that the air quality right now is not good, I'm not going to do anything about it because I can't stop breathing and I'm not going to move somewhere immediately. Um, and so all the data does is at the moment, uh, potentially frustrate me, potentially stress me out, give me anxiety. And that's one of the reasons why we made a design decision so that the sensor and the purifier can be actually separate. You can, you can take it out. You can use the sensor by itself. It's so much smaller. It's a size size of smaller than my thumb. Actually, the port, the purifier is portable. It's small, but I'm not going to always carry it in my hand or attach it to my body. Uh, I might keep it in, like on my desk, I might keep it in my bag. When the sensor detects there's a problem, uh, now you have the means to do something about it. That's when you take out your purifier, or better yet, it just turns on automatically. And it sets itself to the perfect setting to clean out the area that's detected by the sensor to be not clean. And so that type of user interaction is what we found out by actually testing it and um, talking about it with our, uh, with our user community. Cool. The um, back to the strategy play, you know, you started with a fifty thousand dollar goal. How did you guys come up with the metrics on this? Mm -hmm. um, so it takes a lot of money, uh, resources to manufacture something. We uh, looked at um, what the cost would be uh, for everything from tooling to uh, some third party services like certification. Um, and then we also looked at, uh, what we believe, um, you know, our profit margins should be. Um, and we thought that it was enough that we would feel fully confident to uh, get this project started. 50,000 is not enough to make a product. Um, anybody who says, tells you that it is, uh, it's probably not super truthful. Um, even, even just the injection molding costs, uh, you know, about that amount. Um, but we felt that it would give us a good start. Um, we felt like we, um, uh, would definitely uh, push forward and, and make it with that goal. Um, and hopefully do more than that. Um, and so we're pretty happy that, uh, we're able to do a lot more and, and hopefully continue to, to get more support. Um, there are, uh, uh, there are, campaigns who um you know uh get a, some resources before actually going to kickstarter um we we did raise some friends and family money some angel money before because we've been working on this for two years that's really helped us get to this point um and so we're pretty fortunate that um we could use some of those funds along with what kickstarter has given us to to make this thing a reality definitely you know you're at as of today, with about 14 days to go, you're at $360,000. Odds are pretty good you'll hit half a million. What does that do for your future? What What is having that kind of success and, um, you know, validation for your product mean for your company moving forward? Uh, I think it's it helps a lot um, from several perspectives. I think uh, outwardly, obviously, it gives us more legitimacy. It gives us credibility when we talk to um, other channels who might want to carry our product that helps us get wind into the hands of more people. Um, I think it helps with uh, if we ever decide to get more funding um, from investors. I think that helps. Um, I think it helps with recruiting. Um, you know, we always are looking for more talents, everything from uh, software to hardware to business. Um, so it, it, it definitely helps a lot. Um, and also, I can't stress enough also the the backer community um they're all super enthusiastic they will tell us um both things that they like as, as well as things that we'd like to see improved on our product and and having that communication with people who are putting down real money meaning that they uh they're they're, they're real customers they're not just, they're not like your friends who are maybe just biased about um telling you good things they'll they'll just tell you what they think and i think that that's also maybe just as important as getting um, you know, getting a certain amount of funding um, is to just learn directly from your customers, from your market. 
Um, right. So that helps too. And that's, you know, obviously that's one of the huge powers of tapping into an early adopter community with a, a platform like Kickstarter. What's your communication strategy with your backers moving forward, you know, once you fund in, in delivering your product? Uh, it's a good question, and we're still, we're still honestly forming that right now. Um, we'd obviously love to continue to hear feedback. Um, I think from a structured perspective, uh, we will survey them. Uh, we need to collect some basic information, everything from shipping addresses to what colors they want. We want to have a, uh, an easy way for them to um, maybe make changes on their orders, such as their shipping address, uh, maybe tack on additional orders. And so we'll either set that up ourselves or there's a number of um, other services out there that, um, that make it easy for us to, to do that job. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think we'll um, have a constant stream of communication with them, both structured and unstructured. Unstructured could be just whenever they have a question, they can always message us, and we hope to uh, give them an answer uh, very quickly. So real, real quick on the, uh, the backers, where are you seeing the majority of them coming from? Uh, most of them are here in the United States. Um, pulling that up right now, about half of them are from the U.S. And then um, there's a long tail of other countries. The most prominent ones being from the U.K., Singapore, Canada, Australia, Hong Kong. Um, those are um, also, I think, just generally big Kickstarter backer countries. Right. Um, as you guys know, you know. Kickstarter is in English only, and uh, you know it accepts certain forms of payment. Not every country, um, everyone has Visa and Mastercard, so you know um, th these tend to be pretty popular. Yeah. So do you think that it's it's mostly interest from Kickstarter countries, not necessarily countries that have an air quality issue that you're addressing? So um, so this gets back into the um, you know air quality as defined by. Um, you know what's their use case? So, so, so U.S. and U.K. Their air quality problem is not the same as the one that's in, let's say, China. <clears throat> um, from the U.S. and U.K., most of it is um, people who uh, have allergies, who travel, who are worried about germs, um, or who just you know want cleaner air as they you know go about their everyday activities. When you go to some places in Asia, like Singapore, Hong Kong, and China, um, you know the the triggers are a little bit different. Um, those are um, pollution-heavy countries or regions. Um, so, you know, so that definitely, that definitely uh, does affect it. Um, but uh, I think, you know, even in developed countries, in the Bay Area, we have a lot of backers who, um, they don't think about pollution, but they, they still think about air quality as a, as a whole. Fantastic. I got, you know, one last question we always like to ask our, our uh, project founders Fast forward a year or two from now, where do you see wind growing? Yeah, I would love to uh, have a big install base of the wind community and have them um, really be active in not only using wind for themselves, but really helping the whole community at large, uh, even people who aren't necessarily uh, buyers of our product, um, get the benefit of all the data that we're getting. Um, and then from a business perspective, um, I like to see us in multiple different channels. You can hopefully find wind on uh, places like Amazon, um, maybe some <clears throat> prominent retail places, um, as well as um, uh, you know, multi-country distribution. Um, I'd love to see partnerships. Uh, we're very open to partnering with uh, other brands, with um, uh, other companies that uh, have certain technologies. Um, so I would hope to execute on that as well. And then, um, and then hopefully we're making our products better and better. You'll see wind, you know, version 1.1, version 2. You'll see different accessories. You might see, you know, a completely different product that we're working on as well come out later. So those are all different avenues that um, we hope to execute on over the next year or two. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Ray. This, this all sounds very exciting. You have a very cool and intriguing product that I think is unique in solving you know, especially for, for, for young parents, the kids with allergies and, and people that are dealing with allergy problems, a product that is bringing something new to the market. And you have a very successful Kickstarter campaign that only looks to be, to be doing better. And it was a real pleasure speaking with you. Um, this is the Wind uh, Smartest Air Purifier. It's spelled W-I-N-D. You can find it on Kickstarter right now.
Thanks a lot, Ray. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for your time. Thanks. guys what did you think of the wind i'll i'll tell you i think you know, we got to the end of that interview and uh you know in the in just the final moments of the interview he started to talk about the the big picture you know the wind user community and their ability to make a difference and help you know with the data that they're gathering help other people and i think uh you know, I mean, if we look at, uh, you know, this wind um, uh, product and compare it to the uh, um, to the clock, um, you know, it's the same kind of, hey, I want to use technology to make a difference in people's lives. I, I think he's absolutely right. The the sensor data that they're going to that they're going to collect is is going to make a difference. It's going to give people in, in an office building uh, an opportunity to, to talk to the building management and say, hey, what can you do about this situation? You know, we've got three people in the office that have this, you know, have the wind device, and they're telling us that the air quality isn't as good in our office as it is in the office across the hall. You know, I, I, think, um, I, I think that's super inspiring. I, I, I really like it when we talk to a, to a creator who has a, a big vision for for how um, you know how technology can can really make a difference in people's daily lives? Yeah, I think I think this definitely hits some of the same notes of the today you know twenty four hour clock project hit, where you know you have brilliant design and as an object as a piece of technology, it's really well done and well executed. Your changing behavior, you know, in, in the case of uh, today, it's changing perception and behavior in this case it's changing an environment for the better for especially for someone who's very sensitive to allergens in, in the environment but they both have this opportunity to launch a community and and build a you know something different and better for the general public especially you know your immediate neighbors and i think that's a really interesting key to success that 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 might be something for other project founders to take a look at of you know you can design an amazing product and you can you can um, market it very well and do a really good job communicating to backers, but you know the longevity of your product and your company really does come into that community that you're building because of your project because of your your reaching out to early adopters on platforms like Kickstarter. And I think both of these companies are doing an amazing job at that. So so one thing that stood out to me that we kind of just passed over quickly is. He referenced an app called Waze, and that's an app that I use, and I made my mom install it. And it's a it's a driving you know maps uh, app similar to a Google Maps or Apple Maps, but this one is it's crowdsourced data. So if I drive 14 you know a freeway over and over to you know to work, and there's a pothole, I can put that information in. And cars behind me will, you know, if they're using the same app, will see it. I thought that was very intriguing that they're thinking that that same way with this. That again, if you go to a consistent place, a coffee shop or whatever it is, you can share that data. And so now you're not even just crowdfunding; you're actually crowdsourcing data into your product. I thought that was it was it was like brushed over, but it was like the one thing that stuck with me like instantly. I was like, I use this app already for driving, and this is a powerful thing that that I, I think it, it's kind of understated in that interview. You got to yeah. believe that they have, you know, they're thinking about that for the future where, you know, this first iteration of the wind might be a very personal device and a personal space device, but give them a few years of gathering community and environmental data like that. They might have some more industrial applications and, and solutions to these problems on a bigger scale. Yeah, Paul, what were you going to say on that? Was it, I'm I, I was just going to say, you know... I mean, you were talking during the interview about about your son's allergies. Geez, you know, if if you can't afford the uh, if you can't afford the the wind, but you can still in install the app, you can you can gain some of the benefit of of you know 
not taking him into a you know a, an environment with a high mold count or a high you know uh, you know pollution. Yeah. They're they're able to to, and I think that that's a I think that's a a big factor of social media success. You know, you're they're giving their backers the ability to make a difference in other people's lives. I mean, it, it, you know, to walk through um, your your daily life with the sensor, allowing it to collect data is, uh, you know, you're, you're doing something for your community. You're doing, you know, something for, for other people who might, who might benefit from that. And I think that's a, um, I don't know. I think it's a big deal. I think people, people want to make a difference in their community. And it's a, it's absolutely a different kind of device that lets you do that. Absolutely. All right, everyone. So that's that's wind. Really cool project. Great, uh, great product. And and I think uh, the beginning of a uh, of a social movement to better air quality. All right, guys, that's our show for today. Um, if you want to check out the Wind Air Purifier, that's spelled W-Y-N-D. They are up on Kickstarter right now. Just go uh, to www.kickstarter.com in the search engine. Type in Wind, that's W-Y-N-D, and they'll lead you right to their campaign. If you want to hear more about us, we're Woodshed Agency. You can find us on our website at woodshed.agency, or you can... Uh, Email me direct at Sean, which is spelled S-H-A-W-N, at woodshed.agency. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time. To find that fire that burnt out smoke.